This morning is Palm Sunday. It is the morning that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And if you were in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, you would see something like this, that there is a a reenactment of of going into the city of Jerusalem where people are playing music and they are celebrating and, and they are just enjoying marking this moment. I know that um, our experience of the Baptist tradition is that we don't run to what's called a liturgical calendar. We don't have set readings every single week um, of what's going to be happening uh, throughout the year. Um, And sometimes we can have these important dates that sneak past us. So this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Palm Sunday. We're going to read the scriptures around that and then we're going to come back to this topic of assurance Because when we talk about Palm Sunday, we don't talk about it in isolation. Um, I figured this morning we need a break from Corinthians. So please open your Bible to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be reading from verse 28 um, down to about verse 48. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 28. And I'm reading from an NIV. It says this, after Jesus had said this, said what? whole lot of different things. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. And we find in um, in the other Gospels there's a description that actually it's a cult and it's attached to um, to its mother there as well. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. It's like Jesus knows what's going on when he's not in the room. They found it just as he told them. Verse 33, as they were untying the cult, its owners asked them, why are you untying the cult? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Pause just for a moment. In the ancient um, Greco-Roman world, when you had a military leader who was coming back from a great victorious battle, they would come into the city and they would come into whatever the main city of that district was and they would celebrate something called a triumph. Um, that's why we have that famous verse, Gideon's triumph was heard throughout the land. A triumph was actually a celebration. This ancient thing of going, when someone achieves a great military victory, they celebrate it. We have these famous uh, people like Pompey or Julius Caesar who would celebrate triumphs. And if it wasn't celebrated as big and epic a way as possible, sometimes people got really upset and went to war. Again, because the people who were supposed to be celebrating wouldn't celebrate. So when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey and people are taking their cloaks off and throwing it on the ground so that even the donkey he's riding, its feet don't have to get dirty. It's this incredible sign of honor. We find out that people do take palm branches, hence the name Palm Sunday, and they would rip them off the trees and lay them on the ground and they would wave them around. Uh, in place of a flag celebrating this conquering king who was coming in. 
Verse 37. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. The victorious king is having his powerful, um, extraordinary victories proclaimed to anyone who will listen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is what people would shout out at a wedding ceremony. As the groom would be approaching, they would call out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is why when Jesus is is upset, um, as we're about to read about in a minute, it's because something is supposed to be happening the opportunity for Jesus to come and be celebrated actually by his nation, by the ancient nation of Israel, does not play out. The wedding does not play out the way it's supposed to. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, the people who are supposed to know, supposed to understand, supposed to be looking for the Messiah, the rescuer, the Savior, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus' response, verse 40, I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We'll pause our reading there this morning. Something is supposed to happen And it doesn't. Something is supposed to click between God's people and God in the flesh, between Jesus Christ. And it does not happen. And so instead, after this triumphal entry, after everything, all the evidence that Jesus has given, that he is who he claims to be, that he has come in the name of the Father, that he has come to do the works of God, he's come to forgive people of their sin, he's come to show people what what it's going to be like when God recreates everything. That when God fixes everything, no one's going to be hungry anymore. No one's going to be sick anymore. No one's going to die anymore after doing everything to reveal that he is God. Doesn't happen. His people actually don't want him. And so what happens instead is this is what we do to God. This is what humanity does. We take, we take the very person of God in the flesh And instead what he receives is not celebration but is shame. And Jesus goes willingly. This is our this is our point this morning. Jesus knew this was going to happen. That's why he is upset. When the triumphal entry happens, when Palm Sunday happens, Jesus already knows how it's going to go down. And instead of Palm Sunday, um, the triumphal entry being being the beginning of something amazing. What it is, is is kind of the last clear signal of something that has gone wrong. 
before what we call Holy Week plays out. Palm Sunday could have been something radically different. It could have been a turning point, and instead it wasn't. My point this morning is really simple. Jesus knows this is going to happen. Jesus knows that this is going to happen, and he goes willingly. And why does Jesus go willingly? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. It's after Paul's letters. If you get to the book of James, you've gone a little bit too far. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews, who we think is Paul, we're pretty sure it's Paul, writes these words. After talking about all these heroes of the faith who have also willingly gone to their death, who have had who've been faced with the opportunity to turn and run and they haven't shied away, says this, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these other people who have given their life to Jesus, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We heard in our kids' talk this morning about a guy called John Wesley. This man who had a whole lot of stuff going on in his head and yet feared death. And what he was facing was not martyrdom. What he was facing was not death at the hands of people who wanted to torture him. He was facing drowning in a boat, which is unpleasant, but it's accidental. What we see in Hebrews chapter 11, and then what we see particularly this week in the lead up to to celebrating Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday, is Jesus goes willingly and the writer of Hebrews says it's because there is a joy that is set before him. Jesus was so sure of the promise of resurrection and the promise of salvation. He was so sure of that, that when he went to the cross, there was some joy burning away inside of him. He had assurance. Everything that he went through, he went through knowing that something better was going to be on the other side. And because of this assurance which he had inside of him, he, he was able to be obedient to the Lord. Very simple question this morning. How is your assurance? Do I have assurance? If you're still in Hebrews, skip back with me. Chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That's to say, Jesus, when he died, he went actually into the house of God in heaven 
to then be uh, presented on our behalf. That is to say, not part of this creation. Verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. They're talking about the, the way that people used to get right with God through temple sacrifice. And then verse 14 says this, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Jesus goes to the cross and he goes through all of the torture and all of the humiliation and all of the shame because he has this reassurance that's at work in him. But the scriptures are very clear that he does not do it in his own power, that the spirit of God was on him. When Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that the heavens opened and the spirit descended like a dove. We're not really sure what that means other than like a dove. And the voice of God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Assurance. And no matter where Jesus went, no matter what happened, he had the Spirit of God living inside of him. This is the hope that we have, that the same Spirit that was on Jesus, within Jesus, that was the power for Jesus to do and to to endure everything that he did, is the same Spirit that is in us. The same Holy Spirit is in you. If Christ belongs to you and if you belong to Christ, the promise is that he will put his spirit inside of you. That same voice that spoke to Jesus will speak to you. So again, we come back to this same question. How is your reassurance? In the story that we heard this morning about John Wesley, it took a kind of a near-death experience. It took him finding himself in an incredibly uncomfortable situation that he did not want to be in, where he was not in control anymore, where he feared for his safety, he feared for his comfort, he feared for his life. And in that space, he realized something is supposed to be plugged in here that is not plugged in. Something is missing. Something is lacking. And he was a minister already. You'd think ministers are supposed to be pretty switched on when it comes to that sort of stuff, or at least we're supposed to be honest enough with ourselves to go, actually, there's something not not working here. Every one of us should be able to be that honest with ourselves, but maybe what's going on in your life at the moment is a bit of crisis. Maybe our question could even be, what crisis will it take for us to go, you know what? Maybe there's something that's supposed to be plugged in here that is not yet plugged in. Maybe there's something lacking here. This is on my heart at the moment. This last week, we did a jolly long drive. Toowoomba is a long drive. Um, Two eight-hour driving days. And when we were there, we went there so I could say goodbye to my grandfather. Um, He's going to die and he's going to die soon. And while he had the strength, we went to visit him, and while we were there, he, he prayed Joseph-style. In the scriptures, it says that Joseph 
when he was leaning on his walking stick that he blessed his descendants. And this is something that my grandfather really wanted to do and I really wanted him to speak into the life of my kids and into my life and my cousins who were there as well. It is, it is a profound thing to sit across the table from someone who has utter reassurance. It is a profound thing to sit and have a conversation with someone who's not looking forward to the experience of death but has such hope and has such joy and is so looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because it shines a very bright light on the state of your own heart. And I don't know if you've had that experience. My prayer is this, that you would be that person, that I would be that person, that there would be such assurance in us as what we witness in the life of Christ, that we would have such assurance of where we are going, that we have laid hold of Christ, that he has laid hold of us. And whatever we have in front of us, there is yet a joy and a hope and an assurance. So our question again is a very simple question. How is your assurance at the moment? Maybe it's not the threat of death. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it is another kind of crisis going on. Maybe you're at the tail end of it. Maybe you're at the start of it. I'm not going to try and guess the crisis. But our question is this. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, celebrating, knowing everything that's about to go down and he can still find a space to celebrate. And for everything that you have in front of you, from here until your dying day, who knows how great your discomfort will be? Who knows how, how deep and dark the world is going to get for you between now and the day you pass away? I don't know if you are going to be tortured. I don't know if you are going to have your rights taken away from you. I don't know if you are going to be stripped of any dignity and be utterly shamed. But my Bible says that for the hope, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And that's my prayer for us. What we prayed with the kids this morning is my prayer for you, that if you lack assurance, if there's something in your heart where you're going, Lord, I just need to know that you are with me right now, call on the Lord. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a snake. You know, if you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a rock. We have a good father in heaven. And when we ask for the Holy Spirit, he gives the Holy Spirit. When we ask for assurance, he gives us assurance. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we are in awe of your goodness and of this strength that you have. The scriptures say in Philippians that you emptied yourself, taking on the form of a servant, and that you were obedient even, even unto the cross. We see that you relying on the Holy Spirit to give you strength and to give you assurance. 
you have that in common with our experience. So, Lord God, we ask for assurance that the kind of strength you had, we would have. That the kind of intimacy you had with the Father and the Spirit, Lord Jesus, we would have with the Father and the Spirit. That it would change our obedience to you. That it would free us from our fear. That it would change the shape of our lives and what we are capable of. That it would change our values and our priorities and set us free from everything that this world tries tries to program us with. Lord God, would we have such assurance in you that it does not matter the size of the storm because you are with us, that we can be those people who are singing in the middle of life's storms. Even when everything is flooding and the mainsail is shattered, Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in you. So, Lord Jesus, I ask, would you please give us, your children, assurance? Lord, I pray for those who are in this room who have never had a profound sense of your intimacy. Lord God, would you draw near to us? Whether it's something that's John Wesley style and and a warming of the heart or something else. But, Lord God, would you let us know that you are the comforter. You are the one who gives peace. You are the one who makes known to us the majesty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, where we need to be confronted and convicted of sin and righteousness, would you do that? Would you cause obedience to be the fruit in our life? Lord God, would you come near to us? We ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.